0: Having now finished the work assigned me, I retire from the great theater of action, and bidding an affectionate farewell to this august body under whose orders I have so long acted, I here offer my commission, and take my leave of all the
1: employments of public life. The words of General George Washington, and this is the Guardians of the Republic. Hello, I'm Patrick Murray from the Monmouth University Poll, and my co-host is Ian Kahn from the TV series Turn Washington Spies.
0: On this episode of the podcast, we'll look at the core questions facing Democrats in 2020, beating Donald Trump. Patrick has just returned from the campaign trail in Iowa, and we'll bring that perspective to this topic. He spoke to a lot of voters out there, and we'll hear from some of them in our Hot Take segment. And we'll wrap up with our Guardian of the Week honors. But first, we'll take a look at what is new on the polling front.
1: Well, Monmouth University released a poll of the Iowa Democratic Caucus goers uh, just when I was out there last week. And it shows Biden holding steady. He's in the lead there. Elizabeth Warren's on the rise. Bernie Sanders has been falling since our last poll there in April. And we'll talk a little bit more later about how solid all that support is. But I really wanted to focus on a new question that we asked this time about health insurance. So every time we've been polling uh, the Democratic primary over this past uh, year, we keep hearing from those voters that healthcare is the most important issue in this election. And we also have polls out there that suggest that the idea of some sort of public system is very popular with these voters. But the presidential candidates are really presenting some very different approaches to this, and we wanted to find out what voters actually prefer. So we kind of asked an either or question. Which is, of these options, which, which do you prefer? And we had 21% who said that they wanted a Medicare for All plan with no private insurance. 56%, the majority, said they actually wanted a public option of Medicare for All, but also still the ability to keep your private insurance coverage. And another 17% said they really wanted minor or no changes at all to the present system.
0: Now, but wait, don't, don't other polls show that there is a majority support for Medicare for All?
1: Yeah, and this is a case that we see all the time in polling when the issue is really complicated and voters don't have a lot of information about actually what will happen. The way you ask the question really drives the responses. So, for example, I looked at some other polls that have been done on this issue. And CNN asked a poll back just last month about a national health insurance plan, even if it had higher taxes. And 54%, a majority, supported that. But then Marist, last just last month again, asked a different type of question, which was a national insurance plan like Medicare for All that replaces private insurance. And now you have support only at 41%. So the way you ask the question changes how people think about it. And in fact, Mm -hmm. uh, I looked at a morning consult poll from from last month that actually asked the public option and Medicare for all in two separate questions. So when you just ask, do you support or oppose the idea of a Medicare for all plan, 53% support it. So that's a majority support. So you're right there when you say, don't other polls show a majority support for Medicare for All? But then when they ask the public option question so that you can opt into Medicare for All or keep your or a Medicare-like program or keep your private insurance, then that support is at 68%. So 53% for Medicare for All, 68% for the public option. And so when we asked the question, which was, you know, put the two together, uh, which one do you uh, support? It was... The public option That's the way to go. I mean, yeah.
0: 56% for the public option, 21% for Medicare for All, and 17% for minor no changes. That's not close. What I found interesting is the Medicare for All, They is 64 for Bernie, 44 for, for Warren. But then in the public option, Biden gets 34%, but then Warren still gets 18%, right. even though she's up for Medicare for All, and that's what she's pushing.
1: Yeah, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit about Warren, how she presents herself to voters, kind of They can grasp onto anything. But I think the real thing there uh, about her plan and, and this whole idea and the results of the poll is that it's really not a rejection of Medicare for all. Uh, Because in our question, they prefer the public option. That doesn't mean they don't want Medicare for all. In in many cases, it's just a practical choice in the current uh, political environment. And in fact, uh, I talked to some voters out there specifically about that question.
0: I love her Medicare for all plan, but I think it's a little too early for the country to get behind that. Mm -hmm. So I think it maybe has to go in increments like Biden's plan maybe should be right now. And leading into her plan. And, and by the way, once you have Medicare for all and you keep the private option, I think over time the private option is probably going to fade away. They're not going to be able to compete with the right. single pay that'll end up existing. But it needs to at least transition. You just can't take that from people. You'll never get elected. So I mean, you got to be smart about presenting this. But it will transition to single pay eventually, I think. But you can't you can't do that out of the box. Just it's not electable. <laughs> That's great. That's really great. Um, and, and I think pretty smart. I think that the idea of going Medicare for all from the jump is, is going to scare people. And people are going to say, well, what about the 180 million people who are on private insurance? And I, I, I like this idea of sort of moving it in that direction and sort of being grateful that Obamacare arrived at all. So there was a change somewhat in how our healthcare system system was, was going. But then sort of, you know, take it step by step by step. And what that last gentleman said. About, you know, first you get to the public option, and then eventually over time, because the costs will be such, we'll find our way to Medicare for all, seems like a wise choice and one that, you know, the heartland of America might be able to get behind.
1: Yeah, well, it's a, it's a nuance that the Bernie Sanders folks and Sanders in particular <laughs> is not happy with. Uh, they say people don't like their private insurance, they like their doctors and nurses, and they'll be able to keep them. But the question is how do you convince them? that you go for Medicare for All now. And I think these Iowa voters are, are pretty savvy in, in the idea that, hey, I like the idea of Medicare for All, but look, you're not going to be able to sell it right now. People believe that they like their private insurance. Uh, so you're going to have to give them an option to show them the way there. Mm -hmm. Uh, But, you know, as I said, Sanders was not very happy with with these poll results. Uh, He wasn't happy with the fact that he was dropping in the poll uh, in terms of his support, but he wasn't happy with that particular question. And this is your
0: poll. I mean, this is like you're sitting there, and this is the poll that you did. And you're in Sanders' room when someone asked him this <laughs> well, question. The,
1: well, this is funny. So I decided to go to a Bernie Sanders event. I went to a lot of events out there. And we'll hear some from the, of the voters from those events. Uh, but the big events were at the Iowa State Fair. And, uh, you know, the huge crowds there. But Bernie Sanders had an event out in uh, this kind of this rural very rural place. There was only 150 people who got came into this, this room uh, where he was uh, delivering this speech. And that's very small for a Bernie Sanders crowd. And uh, some backstory on this is that uh, this uh, was the Henry Wallace's birthplace. Henry Wallace was uh, Franklin Roosevelt's vice president during World War II, was kicked off the ballot because he was uh, for in favor of Harry Truman in '44 because he was considered too progressive by Southern Democrats, particularly on issues of race. But now his his homestead is now like kind of a demonstration farm that uh, helps out charitably. Uh, so it's really in- it was an interesting place. It's interesting
0: that Bernie Sanders would go to there because it yeah, seems like a, a good fit for him. Isn't yeah, it?
1: that's exactly why. And, and and there's real poverty out there, so he, he had a lot of appeal. I mean, his, the crowd was really with him. But what was interesting was. Somebody stands up and says, there was this Monmouth University poll finding, right? And he said, you know, I I liked your explanation about Medicare for all, but the question is what these other voters are saying about the strategy. And I didn't catch the beginning of the question because, you know, my ears perked up as soon as he started saying that. Uh, But I did catch the end and Bernie's response to that.
0: And 56 percent suggested that they wanted uh, Medicare with a private option. Yeah. Now, if it's not resonating, I get it, and you've done a great job. How well, do let me just say, don't put all your faith in that particular poll, which was wrong in many respects. But, <laughs> all right, it's way out of touch with what other polls are showing us. I will show you poll after poll after poll where a majority of the American people, an overwhelming majority of Democrats, support Medicare. Don't worry about
1: that poll. Uh, that poll is, I think, not one of the best done polls. Oh, That's well. great. And you're uh, in the room. <laughs> I'm done. I guess I should give up and <laughs> go. Yeah, I'm in the room. And he doesn't know I'm in the room. <laughs> no, and that's and great. What, what was funny about this so, so the guy who asked the question, I want to talk to him afterwards. Because that was a really reasonable uh, question to ask, uh, Bernie, how he's how he's going to do this, and uh, a reporter had him when when he was talking. So I waited for for the reporter to finish. We started talking. Turns out he was actually one of the guys who started this place. He's a lawyer. Uh, he raised the money to buy the property thirty years ago. He now basically runs it. He goes out and mows the lawn on, on these forty acres, uh, and he gave me a private tour of the of the place as well as we were walking around, and. As we were walking, we were talking about 20 minutes, and we turned back from the farm to politics, and he asked me a question. I said, oh, I should have introduced myself to you. I'm the guy who runs the Monmouth University poll. (laughs) <laughs> in Florida, the guy's name is Willard Olison. The name of the the name of the place is the Henry Wallace Country Life Center. If you are out in Iowa, I highly encourage you to go out and see this place, see what they do. Uh, it's a lovely place, um, but really an important kind of aspect of American life, and and an important political figure that uh, Henry Wallace that many people don't know about. Uh, so. I encourage you all to go out and do that. You but, know, There was one thing in that clip, if I can say,
0: where, where Sanders almost, and I don't want to take too much of a shot at, at Senator Sanders, but he, he kind of took a Trumpian style answer to it because what he said was in, it's, that there's support amongst the American people for Medicare for all. For, for Senator right. Sanders to say that it has support, you know, one of his pitches when people said, how are you gonna beat President Trump? His answer in the debate was, President Trump is a liar. And I'm not a liar. I'm going to tell you the truth. Well, I mean, that's not so truthful to me no, yeah, from, this from is, my perspective.
1: This is the whole Sanders thing. He said, if I can show you poll after poll, well, he can cherry pick some polls. But if you actually look at the totality of the polls, it's the, 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 the picture is very muddy. And as I said, it's not that even among De- Iowa Democrats that they— don't like the idea of Medicare for all, is that many of them are practical and know that you can't get there today. But according to him, his message is resonating, and woe to anyone who says otherwise.
0: And that's exactly the opposite of what others are saying that the Democrats need to do. So there was a great observation in Brett Stevens's column this week in The Times, and he wrote... The main task for Democrats over the next 15 months won't be to convince America they need yet another health care reinvention or that the economy is a mess or the system is rigged or that the right response to Trump's immigration demagoguery is an open border. It's that the president is a disgrace to his office, an insult to our dignity, a threat to our union and a danger to our safety.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is exactly what you and I have been talking about. And I think this is one of the reasons why Joe Biden is at the head of the pack right now, is because when you listen to the first five minutes of his stump speech, that's exactly what he's saying. He's not pandering to an Iowa crowd or a New Hampshire crowd or whatever. He's saying this is a battle for the soul of our country because the person in office is a disgrace. But everybody else is kind of all over the place. I think Stevens is right.
0: I think Stevens is dead on right because the the issue is to guard the republic and what we're seeing all across the world right now is the what it is to have president Trump in office. I mean, you see what's happening in South Korea, Japan, India, Pakistan. I mean, in in Hong Kong right now. All of these can in a way be attributed to president Trump and that's just things that are happening outside of our borders, not even speaking to what's happening inside. Of our country and where and, and the rules that are changing, the norms that are constantly shifting, and that so for Biden to come out, that's his best spot. Come out and say it's unacceptable to let our country fall by the wayside because of a personality, which is what's happening. And and you know, Kamala Harris had a great moment this week where she was talking about um, the shooters in El Paso, and she said, did, did did is Trump responsible? Did he do the no? He didn't do the shootings, but he provided the ammunition." with with the with his twitter words and with his with his discourse and and that that right there is the key for democrats in this next election is to get people to understand that the country is falling apart and it's falling apart because of the personality in the white house
1: yeah i think we've talked about this so many times and you know i've been more reticent than you in saying okay go after trump go after this this peccadillo that Trump did or that did. But I think I, I hear this, the racism uh, issue it seems to be one that, that's, that's able to resonate and stick with him in terms of all the things that he's done. It's this, this blatant racism that we see that I, I think is the one that, that can actually have an impact because voters don't want to be associated with that. And yeah. uh, they're OK with being associated with a whole host of other things, but they don't want to be associated uh, with the racism. I, I You still, had an experience.
0: You, yeah. I really want you to talk about what happened with you after your poll came out and after you you tweeted something about Bernie Sanders. And what happened to you from sort of the,
1: the radical left? Bernie Sanders, folks, did not take part in what's called the Iowa Wingding, which is where the uh, campaign uh, volunteers line the streets to this ballroom where all the candidates are going to appear and they yell and they dance and whatever and it's a good outlet for the you know these volunteers are people from all over the co- kids from all over the country who are sleeping on couches and it's a good outlet so it's very friendly uh, you know there's a friendly competition of who can be louder than the others and they all get together in fact what was really interesting about this was that Beto O'Rourke wasn't there because he was down right, in El Paso. Paso but his campaign had originally scheduled a rally outside the ballroom for for himself they changed that rally to a moment of silence for the victims of mass shootings and they brought all the campaign staff together uh, from all the different campaigns and you know at the end everybody was instructed give somebody else from a different campaign a hug and say we're all in this together that's great and that is it but you know whose staff wasn't there bernie sanders yeah. And they weren't there. They weren't participating in the fun and games because fun and games there's not Bernie Sanders. They were. They were. They came to to this town and they went out and caucused. And I saw them there. They weren't part of the other campaigns. And I just made a little joke because the area where they were uh, assigned was empty. And I posted a picture of it with one person standing there. And man, the vitriol that came from me. Obviously, you must be biased against Bernie Sanders. And. All sorts of, I mean, the, the language I can't repeat. Well, let me, I won't repeat here. But-
0: well, we're talking, we're, we're taking some shots at Bernie Sanders and his campaign. But let's let's be clear, too. I mean, they, they are coming from a perspective where they feel in 2016 they were sort of given the short end of the stick. So yeah. they're walking around with a big old chip on their shoulder. And I think that one of the major responsibilities for whoever the Democratic nominee is, is to find a way to bring the entire Democratic Party together in this fight for the soul of, of our nation in 2020, where, you know, you lose and we lose. So you've got to find a way to bring Bernie Sanders back into it. And I think if Elizabeth Warren is the nominee, I think that becomes a lot simpler. But I think if Joe Biden or Kamala Harris is,
1: it's going to be it's going to be a trick because Sanders is mad. The the deck was stacked against Bernie Sanders in 2016 by the Democratic Party. There's no question about that. No, there's no question. But the people that he's bringing in that are his core support are people who are not who are anti-establishment. And anti norms of behavior. Well, okay. So we're seeing that
0: that behavior and these, you know, the, what you're talking about with Bernie Sanders. Is President Trump has found so much success with this over right. the course of his career as a politician. The the problem is that it's sort of not just causing problems in America, but it's causing problems all around the world. Because people sort of say, well, you know, it's working for Trump, and I'm going to be a little bit, I, I think I should be a little bit more South Korea first, Japan first, India first, because right. America is just going to be America first. So we're seeing it's not just guarding, guarding the republic, it's guarding the species in a way. I mean, that, that's, that's not a joke because we're going to be seeing, it's possible you're going to be seeing dictatorships all over the world without yeah. without the you know seeing what happens when america really steps back not just steps back the way president obama could it could be argued step back from international affairs in in challenging times and made some mistakes along the way but not just stepping back but sort of stepping forward but going the other direction and sort of saying yeah that seems like a really good move i i, I like this authoritarian dictatorship style of life you should be doing it all over the world
1: the bottom line is that trump is the symbol of the breakdown of the kind of the bonds that hold us together as a republic, this is what the founders were worried about, and yeah. you, you need to do something to 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 really call that out and just say this is not your normal election season where it's who can promise you the best uh, prize at the end, you know, you know, what are your parting gifts? This is no, we've got to right this ship or else it is definitely going to sink. Yeah.
0: Okay, well, that's a lot of heavy stuff. And we're going to talk about that more and more in months to come. But let's lighten up for a minute and just do a
1: little report from your trip to Iowa. Yeah, so uh, let me uh, play a little clip to set the mood here. <laughs> So there's a lot of fun out there. Uh, That's the wingding. Uh, that, wing that, yeah. wing, that was the wingding. That was the wingding. Uh but you know, you go to the state fair, you eat pork chop on a stick or uh, if you're a vegan like uh, Cory Booker, you got to go find peanut butter and jelly on it fried on a stick. There is actually such a thing as a fried peanut butter and jelly sandwich that on a stick. Fine. That yeah, sounds That sounds So, but you know, I talk to a lot of voters uh, out there, and that's why I go out there and say, oh, the questions we're asking in our polls, do they make sense to you? Is this really what you're thinking about? And I found two types of voters out there. Uh, those, when I ask them, what are you looking for? They tell me uh, issues or ideas. And Trump, beating Trump becomes a secondary factor. And then there are those who say beating Trump. That's, that's all that matters. What would you
0: say uh, the breakdown of those
1: two are? I think there are more issues, people, as, as the primary concern than those uh, who are beating Trump. I think that's why Joe Biden has like 28 percent support uh, right now. And everybody else has more. If you combine them, is there, there are issues and ideas. Uh, I think it's because... You know, again, I said that there are some pie in the sky folks out there. There are not a lot of pragmatists, but there are some pie in the sky folks who, who believe that at the end of the day, I don't need to think about electability, but, uh, you know, let's look at, uh, at ideas. Ideas are electability.
0: So now there was, a, there was a candidate There's a candidate that I've been talking with you about for a year. And that oftentimes you kind of go, yeah, Ian, she just, doesn't, she just doesn't engage the heart on TV, right? Yeah. Which is Amy Klobuchar. But you came back from this trip talking more about Amy Klobuchar than you have before. Saying that if Biden were to fall, that there's really an avenue for Klobuchar. And does that have to do with those parochial issues? Uh, I
1: think so. She, she talks their language. And I heard her say some of the same shtick that she has in the debates. And the way she delivers it in a room of 150 people is a lot different than in front of a TV camera. It sounds much more natural and normal and resonates. And even, I'll tell you, I went out to that, I went out to her uh,
0: speech announcing her campaign, the one in the snow globe in January in Minnesota. Um, I got on a plane and I flew out and I watched her And, you know, even there in her own, in her heartland, in her home, she was better. She, you got, you got the feeling that like there was a, there was a little, there was a a real star underneath that Midwestern you know kind woman I don't know how kind she is I mean obviously with the staff and everything but she she really does have a way to connect with Minnesota and with Iowa and with Wisconsin I mean is that why when I mean because really you've
1: said on the phone you said a number of times
0: you said you know I think Klobuchar has a chance here
1: Yeah, I said that when, when she announced. Uh, she, her profile yeah. uh, made a lot of sense uh, for what voters would be looking for. I always knew that Joe Biden was lurking in the background there right. Right. as somebody uh, who could overshadow her, and that certainly is what's happened. Uh, but I think if Biden continues to stumble, as he did a lot out there in Iowa, that uh, she could shine through. I mean, she has, she has a, sen- a real sense of humor uh, when you that doesn't come across on TV, yeah, she, that, really she, does. she really can just like you know off the hey let me tell you this funny story that happened and it is funny and the way she tells it is is very funny. You know if, the, I, if, I, the, go if ahead. the if the if
0: the if the election is going to be about the center of the country, I mean maybe Texas gets I don't know if she's able to you know have the charisma to pull Texas out, but I mean if she's coming to the heartland and speaking to Wisconsin, Minnesota, Iowa, you know Pennsylvania yeah maybe she is in a way. Maybe she would be. Certainly as a as a possible VP candidate, yeah. um, she would have a lot of appeal in that area. I think so
1: too. Uh, but you yeah. know, but I, I was talking about her sense of humor came through. There's another candidate whose sense of humor really came through, which was Andrew Yang. He's a real funny guy. He's an interesting guy. He, and he's, he's funny. He interacts with the audience a lot. He does a lot of question and response with the audience when, he, when, he get, when he's giving his stump speech. But he also throws in a lot of jokes. And in fact, this is one of the things that's nice when you, when you go out to a place like Iowa or New Hampshire to see these candidates. Because you're not just seeing them in big venues. You're seeing them in small venues where you, you, can, you can see their human side. And particularly this past weekend where all the candidates were out there. And you can just be standing there and the candidates are interacting with each other that, uh, you know, you really do see their human side. So, I, in fact, I was standing outside the wing ding and happened to turn around and there was Andrew Yang and Bill de Blasio. And Bill de Blasio comes over to him and, and starts complimenting Yang on his closing statement in his mm-hmm. uh, in the debate and how good that was and then he added a little bit more and i was able to catch it on uh on audio i want to
0: tell you something strange about human life i started wanting our side of the stage to beat the other side of the stage. i don't even know why that came over me but tulsi's was great and yours was great uh, yes our side of the stage so. and it kind of set up ideologically as well <laughs> i'm kind of with you i had it definitely- after
1: yeah, I, I don't know whether you heard that at the end, but then Yang said, yeah, I had it out for the other side of the stage too, especially that Corey character. Yang yeah, but Yang had another moment over the yeah. weekend
0: where he was talking about guns, where someone asked him a question about guns, and he literally broke down into tears Yeah. on stage. And that was an amazing moment to watch yeah. a man with such empathy and compassion for someone else and you know he, he, he has this great joke where he says if you need the opposite of Donald Trump you need me I'm an Asian man yeah, who yeah, loves yeah. math right. right well you can add now to that I'm an Asian man who loves math and has empathy for other human beings um I don't know if it's a a reasonable idea that he's going to find his way to the top, but he certainly has a a kind person in there. Yeah, there's a lot
1: we we could talk about here, but uh, why don't we finish this off with a special hot take segment. Um, So in this, I will play a clip of Iowa voters that I spoke with, and then we'll have 90 seconds to discuss what we heard. And then when you hear this drum, it's time to move on to the next clip. Uh, so the first one that we're going to look at is about what all the polls, about who's ahead and who's behind. And so I asked Iowa voters if they really narrowed down their choices.
0: I haven't really just settled on one candidate over another. I hate to
1: rule out anybody just yet. I like to hear them out. <laughs> oh, Castro, Booker, uh, Buttigieg, Warren, uh, Amy, and I like Harris,
0: but... That, that's a lot of choices. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, I mean, that, that was really what it came down to. And in fact, I saw, uh, w- you know, one couple who had been for Biden, but saw Bullock speak that morning. And, uh, oh, yeah, I think Bullock would be my first choice if I went in caucus today. But uh, th- what's interesting is when I asked them, they're all talking about, well, I haven't seen all the candidates yet.
0: It's awesome, yeah. actually. It really is impressive that, that, that you know, there can be arguments about whether it's appropriate for Iowa and New Hampshire to have so much power, uh, with South Carolina coming right behind. Um, but it, it's, it's almost like it's their job, and they take it very seriously. And they're, the, the, the idea that if you were doing this in New York, if New York was the first choice, a lot of people have already made their decision. But Iowa, it's almost like it's in the water for them, where they're like, no, I'm going to be mindful. I'm going to take my time. I may fall in love with Elizabeth Warren for five minutes, but then I may see Steve Bullock and say, well, he's got there's something I like to cut to his jib kind of thing. Um, So there's there's something good about Iowa taking their time in this way. And it's a good reality check
1: on the polls. Uh, So we put these polls out there and we ask people, well, who's your first preference? And they'll tell us. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean they're really, really committed to that person. It's just that that's where they think they might end up. That thing stands right now, but it really is wide open. And there's a lot of momentum, even like somebody who's down at 1% or 3%, like a Cory Booker or Amy Klobuchar, has the potential for really moving in this race.
0: Right. Okay, so do I have Democrats really like the options that they have to choose
1: from? I think they need to narrow it down. Yeah. Um, They've had, you know, obviously two debates, and there's just so many candidates that, I mean, I heard, like, the next round of debates in October, they might widen the field, and that is concerning. Half of these guys are going to drop out before the caucuses. We can't caucus and have 20-some candidates. That would never work. Yeah, so it doesn't sound like they're happy. (laughs) <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, it, it, it sounds like that it, it's kind of worked out if you think about it. I mean, you've got 20, you started with 22 candidates and you jump up to drop one, drop Swalwell, add Steyer, and now you're still at 22, 23. But now going into the next round, you had two sets of debates where you really did have an opportunity to make your mark. And, and find your way so that you could continue on to the next round, almost like American Idol or America's Got Talent. You know, you, you, you have a large group of people, and you sort of narrow the field and continue to narrow the field and narrow the field. And I think that it's somewhat fair. And I think, what are we down to now? There are seven candidates who have made the third debate?
1: Uh, nine. nine.
0: Nine candidates no? so okay. far. And it
1: could be up, It looks like it's probably going to be 11 Make well, it now mad. if it's eleven, or even if it's
0: let's say it's twelve, it gets to twelve. I think it would be far better to instead of having one. I love the two nights. I don't think that. Yeah. I think that there's a a hunger for watching these these candidates debate each other. So to split those twelve candidates up into two different nights, although the mean, ratings
1: went down in the second night. A second debate than the first debate.
0: Well, sure, yeah, but so. but still, I mean, one of the things that I've sort of been thinking in my mind would be fantastic is that if you just had, let's say, when we get down to twelve candidates, do a round robin, right? Just do mm-hmm. every night for one hour on CNN, Bernie yep. Sanders versus Joe Joe Biden, then the next night is Kamala Harris versus Amy Klobuchar, and just get give these candidates a chance. To, to speak. But they, they,
1: really, they really want it down to six, six or eight candidates. In fact, I had one voter who said they should all go into a room together and, and work it out and figure out which one of them has the best shot. Yeah, that and,
0: ain't going to happen right and, now. No, it's not. Now, how does Trump figure into the voters' mindset? You get some takes on that. But the idea that we have another four years of the current president is, we're, I mean, it's, it's just got off. Mm-hmm. Our kids will look back on us, our grandkids
1: will have to ask the question, what were you doing? Today? Were you asleep at the wheel or what? Yeah, I, so I did hear from those voters who say, you know, who are like Brett Stevens. This is the number one concern. This should be the number one concern. This
0: should be the number one concern that then everything else can bridge off of. I'm not saying that the Democratic candidates should just come out and constantly just constantly be talking about Donald Trump, that that's the, the end all be all of everything that they're that they're trying to engage the audience about. However, that has to be the first place that they come from, and from that place, then it can be like a, that. That's got to be your tree trunk, right. and then your branches can be all the branches off the tree. Those can be your ideas about what's going to move forward in the country. Yeah, but if I, you're not if you're not speaking about where we are as a country, then I, I just I, I don't see how I, I don't see how you're doing right by by yourself or by the country.
1: I think you know that's a way to lead into, for example, whatever your health care plan is. So yeah. we, we got to get D- Donald Trump wants to undermine stability for for Donald all Americans Trump wants to
0: take away your health care. And then and yeah, happening. You,
1: and you get and that's part of it. He wants to take away your health care as part of his plan to destabilize uh, the country. And so we need to beat Donald Trump. And by the way, this is what I would do to uh, fix yes, that exactly. instability. that, that exactly. That. That's that's. I mean,
0: you have, and then you take Lindsey Graham, who's trying to win South Carolina. That's what the man wants. He wants to stay relevant. So he's going to be in South Carolina. What did he say this past week? He said, "If the if Trump wins re-election, we win the House, we win the Senate. Obamacare is gone. That should be that should that, that, that could be the number two thing you talk about, because that's where they're going." And right. that's what Trump is going to bring to the country.
1: Yeah, so it'll be interesting to see this. I, I, right now, uh, the we just have two types of debates, and we have two types of voters who are asking for this debate. The one debate is how do you beat Trump, and the other debate is, you know, who's who's promising promising me the, the the best package, whether it's <laughs> health care or climate change or student loans or whatever else.
0: So okay, right. let's talk about we've seen how the the Biden supporters feel about him. How did the non-Biden supporters see him? If he won, it'd be just four years of kind of like, normal, mm-hmm. like in air quotes, or just like a pause in America or like a reset in America. Um, that's not really what I want. I don't want to
1: pause or reset. Uh, I think we need to be moving in a completely different direction um, than where Trump is leading us right now. Um, but I do think that he is a, make
0: a safe vote for a lot of people. Like his idea about returning to our normalcy, because I don't think that um, normalcy is really that great for a lot of people. Like I think there's a big appetite for change in this country. I think that's one of the things that got Donald Trump elected. There's just a lot of stuff that people are lacking. So I think he's talking about returning to a good time that maybe didn't exist as much as he thinks that it did, especially for younger people. Oh man, that's good. Yeah, that's rich. very telling. Right. Uh, so.
1: He's too normal. We don't, we're not in normal
0: times. We No, and, and, and what she said there about how, you know, to bring things back to the good old days, well, the good old days weren't always good, and tomorrow ain't as bad as it seems. I mean, like, seriously, the, the, for those people who supported Trump because they wanted change, or in 2008 when Obama was coming in because they wanted change, they're going to want change. People want change because it's still not working for them. In, in so many different ways. So to to kind of come forward with this idea that, you know, we're going to bring things back to how it was in 2009 or 2014 when things were better, I don't know that that's going to be compelling to the full nation.
1: Yeah, no, I, I don't know... Either, uh, except that there, there is a, an appetite out there among some voters, independent voters, of just, I, I would like not to see the president in my face every day. Right, right. And so there, there, are, there are folks out there who want a return to normalcy, but uh, these Democratic voters, they're looking and they're saying, look, the Pan- Pandora's box is opened. Donald Trump won because he was going to shake up the system, and we're only going to beat him. By shaking by, up the system. By shaking
0: up the system again, yeah. or continuing to shake up the system and see where things fall. I, I, to me, that woman, uh, of, of all of these so far, hers was some of the most com- that, some of the most compelling thoughts
1: that were shared, this idea. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, for some voters, that means that the idea of electability has been overemphasized.
0: Well, I think that we had a whole lot of conversations about electability in the last election, and it didn't do us any good. I think that it's relevant in some situations, but I think it, there's too much emphasis placed on it in others. Yes, it is a factor. However, I, I will still vote for him who I think will be the best president. So I think it's a more of a secondary factor. I think I'm maybe worried that he might get reelected, which would be, I think, intensely problematic for the country in so many ways. But I also think that this is a great chance to sort of take a step forward. So... And maybe try for some policies that the Democrats have, haven't been able to get to before.
1: Yeah, Wishful kind thinking. Of, I think and it's, I
0: might be like that if I had somebody I really liked. It's hard to. Yeah, Warren and not Sanders. Not be in there. Too far left.
1: So you, yeah. you you hear that tension between these two groups of voters. Yeah. On, on this electability question is, is that there, there are those who say, you know, that idea that just put out big, bold ideas and structural change and you'll be electable. And there's the, the, the other folks who say that, well, that's wishful thinking.
0: <laughs> the, problem, the problem is that the idea of electability is hugely important. Right. The issue is that the people who are the most electable in the Democratic primary— are, because of their passion, their presence, their ability to deliver a message, are not ones necessarily that are going to be electable in the states of Minnesota and Pennsylvania and Wisconsin. I mean, that's that's the real issue that the Democrats are, are, are struggling with. It's like you, you want to be able to combine uh, Warren's ability or Buttigieg's ability to communicate with uh, Biden's ability to to be a centrist who is a, a really positive alternative to President Trump that won't scare off the, the independent voters. It, it, it's a—I it's a, it, mean, that's really cutting it right to the quick right there.
1: Yeah, I, mean, when I, asked, I asked everybody I talked to about this question about electability, and the answers were just really all over the place. Uh, and, it, you know, as I said, the, most of the voters that I talked to talked about issues and didn't talk about electability when I first
0: asked them Okay, so how is how is Elizabeth Warren playing in Iowa, and how does she present herself?
1: I think the more that she talks, the more people will
0: accept her ideas, too. I really do. And I'm concerned about
1: Biden's age. He's 76. He's going to be 78. And I know Elizabeth Warren is 70, I believe, isn't she? But she's got a lot of zip, I'll tell you. So... I think if she can get people to hear it instead of just shut it off as soon as they hear that uh, headline, that they'll listen.
0: But, you know what I mean? Because yep. she has a plan to actually do it, not just saying it you willy know, really nilly. I don't know. And I don't know that it will ever, I don't
1: know, we're in a different place now than we've ever
0: been, I guess. She's got a lot of zip. I'll She's tell got a you. lot of zip. i tell you, that cracks and, me up. And She's this got is a lot a- of zip.
1: I think this goes back to the, the, the last voters that we were listening to about electability and winning coalitions is that Elizabeth Warren has this ability to play to those who want those those be, those liberal policies as well as those who are looking for somebody who's pragmatic yeah but she's she still those policies 1325
0: and, and Medicare for all those are policies yeah. that are I'm not sure are going to play well and she's right. so deeply behind them. Um, which is now. I, I just want to go back to one thing. You texted me from an Elizabeth Warren event because I've been talking about her ability to communicate and yes. saying that she is better than she and Buttigieg are the two best communicators. And you've always been like, well, yeah, yeah. But then you texted me, and what, what did you think when
1: you? Well, that's me? what I'm saying is that uh, you know we can argue whether what she'll do will play in the in the general election, but in person. Her ability to communicate with a room, a large room, I mean, there, there's maybe a thousand people in this room that I saw her in, and can connect yeah. with what she's saying in that room. And this is not even the fact that she stays behind for two hours shaking but that comes, every that single comes, person's hands. That comes but, from giving lectures at Harvard. Yeah, I mean exactly. That's what she, exactly. gives she takes learning. you on this journey. And this is why Absolutely. people can say, hey, she's my Medicare for All champion. But other people can say, oh, she's my pragmatic, right. we'll get to Medicare for <laughs> All champion eventually. But what that's I found right. was interesting, and this is how I think how successful she is, is that uh, the number of voters, not at that event, just number of voters across Iowa who I heard talk about the need for big structural change That's her phrase. It's seeped into the consciousness. Whether you're supporting Elizabeth Warren right now or not, she's got her catchphrase in your consciousness if you're a Democratic voter in uh, Iowa. Just before the drum, I spoke to a
0: big money guy this weekend. I was was away, and I I met this guy, and I talked to him about the two-cent tax... And I said, would that be something that you, would, that you would be good with? And he said, absolutely. I'm all for the two-cent tax for over $50 million because what that's going to do is it's going to inspire more investment. It's going to inspire more risk. It's going to take people from being, um, you know, just sitting on their grandpa's interest and money and make you sort of go forward and invest in the country. So it, it, it's surprising how she's sort of building a coalition even in the even even in the big banks. Yep. Now you also talked to some Republicans out there.
1: Uh, yeah, uh, but the Republicans that I did meet out there gave me a little bit of a warning about the polling in the 2020 race and whether that would be accurate. Yeah,
0: I would I would say that's one thing that I found it's changed. You can't you can't have a discussion
1: even at work people start throwing labels at each other and so you're not on my side you're on the other side and you're the enemy where it used to be everybody could disagree you'd say well I'm going to vote for this guy I'm going to vote for this guy and you didn't try to shame them and I think we have the shaming thing going on now so I just really really worries. me. and the fact that people would even ask while well, it's being recorded because So much is at risk in terms of jobs, et cetera, based on who you vote for, who you don't vote for. And that's why the polling data, we kind of laugh because we're like, we know it's biased because no one feels like they can say yes. that they're for Trump. And so yeah. people who kind of get the heartland realize it's going to happen probably again. Yeah, That's chilling, man. That's- yeah. So they're saying it's worse than 2016 if you're for Trump now. Yeah. You just, you don't talk about it at all so they're not going to talk to pollsters they're not talking to their family members they're not talking to in, in the place of work because it could cost them in in their society or whatever it whatever it is and it's worse than it was in 2016.
0: But that's that. I mean the idea then that the, that Biden has a 12-point lead in Ohio right? right if this woman is uh any indication of what's going on in that poll you you have people who are like well yeah i would go with joe biden but maybe they wouldn't and maybe they're just afraid of saying that it's president trump that they're willing to support i mean when she said that it's going to happen again in 2020 i mean if you know the heartland you know that people are going to support trump it's it's scary stuff
1: yeah and that and that couple uh they were one of the republicans or two of the republicans that i talked to who said that up until the last minute in 2016 in november of 2016 they weren't sure that they were going to vote and they went out and voted against hillary uh and they're definitely going to support uh, donald trump this time around even if they're not particularly happy with his style and it goes to your question about somebody like amy klobuchar is is it possible that somebody like an amy klobuchar or somebody else could keep them at home at the very least <laughs> not not home. when they're home, not when they're vote but say you know maybe you don't want to vote for Donald Trump I don't Trump. know that you're going to win those voters I mean I, you're I, not going to win don't... them over but can you keep can you keep them at home no. these are voters who may have stayed at home in 2016 but say they're coming out in 2020 can you get them to go back on the fence and say yeah maybe I, I, it's okay if i sit this one out because the democratic alternative isn't as scary as Hillary Clinton was. I anyway. know. Okay, I've got more, many more hours of audio I could share, uh, uh, but it's time to move on to our Guardian of the Week. And this is someone who has looked beyond their short-term political or personal interests to uphold the values of the Republic. And Ian, I think you have a nominee for us this week. I do. It's Chris Krebs.
0: Uh, who was with Homeland Security, and what he uh, what he said this week was ultimately, when I look at twenty twenty, the top priority for me is engaging as far and wide as possible, touching as many stakeholders as possible, and making sure we have audibility in the voting system. The top cyber official Krebs says at a DEFCON cyber conference Friday, when discussing election security, I T key tenant can't audit the system, can't look at the logs, you don't know what happened. He added, "You got to get audibility. I'll say it. You got to have a paper ballot back." This is a central question over the course of the next year and some odd months to make sure that we have election security.
1: Yeah, this is so essential. I mean, this is uh, where Moscow Mitch comes into play here and mm-hmm. his willingness to uh, put up uh, legislation to try to do something. And he says he's not going to do it before 2020. And in fact, in many cases it might not, it might be too late. I live in a state, New Jersey, where none of the machines have paper backup. Now, New Jersey is not going to be in play in terms of presidential elections, but there's certainly congressional races that will be in play here. And uh, that's. Uh, That is really, really problematic here. Uh, And I guess, you know, for Chris Krebs, you know, you you listen to what he says, and I would say uh, that's pretty much, you know, a a given. Why does he he qualify as, as a Guardian of the Week for saying that? But I think... Because uh, he works you,
0: in the Trump administration.
1: I, yeah, I think that's exactly I, it. That's, that's, <laughs> why,
0: that's why I nominated him. Because yep. here's someone who's working in the Trump administration who's going against the grain of, of, of what the Trump administration is saying. That there's no problems. That there shouldn't be any issues. But they're opening some doors that maybe the Republicans don't even know that they're doing. Because if Russia is able to change votes in Georgia, what's going to stop China or Germany or France from changing votes in
1: Pennsylvania? Yes. And so this this goes to the very core of what our founders were worried about in the presidency. They weren't worried about exercise of power per se. They were worried about the president being under foreign influence. Yeah. That was, if you read the Federalist Papers, that was their number one concern. Setting up a system where the president would not be under foreign influence and there's ways to stop him. And our election security is certainly... Uh, key to that. So hats off to, to Chris Krebs for stepping out of the talking points of the administration and saying yeah. what, what needed to be said. An uh, honest guardian of the week. Yep. Yeah. All right. That's it for this week's edition of
0: Guardians of the Republic. Please do subscribe to get the latest episodes and please give us a rating in iTunes or your favorite podcast app so others can find us. Check us out on our website at guardians-republic.com or on Twitter at guardians OTR. Thank you for joining us. We'll be back next week.
1: See you.